You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. The Polynesians tell a story that the creation of the world happened when the creator, called Taro, awoke to find themselves growing inside a shell. They stretched and they pushed until a shell broke and the earth was formed from its pieces. Taro continued to grow, however, and eventually found themselves inside another shell. And so they stretched again and stretched and stretched, only to break apart a second time, and in doing so, the moon was created. And this pattern continued, and as the myth explains, this is how the stars and eventually all of the galaxies were formed. Now this old narrative holds a truth that we would be wise to heed, wise to discover, wise to even consider. Author Mark Nepo says that the wisdom of this story for him is that a piece of God within each of us stretches until there's no room to be, and then the world as we know it must be broken so that we can be born anew. For him, after having survived cancer three different times, that story has bite. You see, this can be a hard concept for us to hold, the idea of truth found in a myth. And so we write it off and say that myths aren't true. There's a a Cherokee theologian named Randy Woodley. Yeah, you heard that right. He's a Christian theologian who's Cherokee. He was raised with the power and appreciation from his own people's traditions and their stories. And he helps us understand the beauty of that. And he writes that myth is not about whether or not something is fact or fiction. Myth is more about truth. Good myth, according to the adage, is about something that continues to be true again and again. And if you can accept that, then that Polynesian myth can be true for you too. My life has been broken apart many times. Sometimes because of external forces, other times because I've just outgrown my previous thoughts and ideas. And it isn't a pleasant experience. I didn't go searching for it. I didn't I don't know anyone who really does, but we discover that what disruption desires to produce is new life, is new opportunity. Now, there's a difference between deconstruction with purpose and demolition just to destroy. I always encourage people who are in the process of tearing down and letting go of old paradigms just to consider this question. What are you embracing in the absence of what you're now rejecting? It's a good question. You see, there are many reasons why somebody would want to deconstruct something. Perhaps the current structures aren't big enough to contain all that it's trying to live inside. The house is too small. Others deconstruct because they've weathered a storm and the damage caused has made it unsafe. Things like cancer or divorce, depression, addiction, a death, you name it. Life is filled with experiences that damage the structure of our thinking, of our hope. For me... I couldn't live in the spiritual house I'd built. The scriptures had become cliches. Life itself changes, and it's supposed to. As we get older, our fears and our hopes, our aspirations and our discoveries cause us to have a rummage sale with our old ideas. Maybe at one time our faith was about assurance or insurance. Maybe it was about fear and protection And maybe over time, you've grown to discover a more loving God. And in that discovery, more mystery than fear. And maybe you've discovered that Jesus came to offer us 
connection and not protection. This series isn't about trying to talk you into deconstructing. Understand that. It's meant for those who are, or for those of us who have friends or family who are, for us to understand a few things. And some some of you this week have, have told me that you realized maybe this is why your faith feels like a rented room in a terrible part of town instead of a home where you can find comfort and peace. There's a new word that's floating around. This started, I believe, by theologian and author Pete Enns. It's the word adaptive Christianity. It refers to a faith that is resilient instead of rigid. It has replaced other terms like progressive Christianity or modern Christianity. The phrase addresses the need for our faith to be more dynamic. It is actually how religious movements not only survive, but thrive over time instead of imploding. Judaism is a wonderful example of adaptive faith. The fact that Jesus was born into a Jewish home is evidence of this. The only reason Judaism survived thousands of years of exile is that it was able to change. It was able to adapt. You know, if you do a search in the Old Testament to see where God gives the instructions for building synagogues, for the rituals involved in operating a synagogue, which is the weekly communal faith experience that Jesus attended and taught at, if you do a search, you won't find it anywhere. Not even a mention. Which seems odd because the book of Leviticus is explicit about the rituals of temple worship, etc. The Old Testament gives specific instructions for Jewish life as it relates to temple. There weren't instructions given in the event that the temple was destroyed. But it was. Twice. And yet, for a a religious movement that, that wrapped itself around this temple experience, it survived. Incidentally, part of the reason I think it survived is because the Jewish story is wrapped up in narratives, many of them unbelievable narratives, intentionally so, because unbelievable means unforgettable. But the Jewish people adapted. With the absence of temple worship and ritual, they created synagogue as a community and place for worship. No priest, no sacrifices. They adapted, they changed. They continued to develop and thrive spiritually regardless of whether there was a nation or not. The story continued to be told. So by the time we meet Jesus in the first century, he was already a part of an adaptive faith community that had resiliently adjusted, and that's how they survived. Now, they had the temple rebuilt under a strict arrangement with the Roman governors, but they didn't get rid of the synagogue. They didn't go back to the way it was before. Instead, they adjusted, they accommodated, they evolved. And life moves us forward not backwards. Instead, it was now a part of the Jewish worship experience, of Jewish life. At the time of Christ, there were up to 17 different Jewish denominations or philosophies, all adaptations of the Jewish faith. And Jesus never once picks one and says it's correct and all the others are incorrect. Instead, he seems to challenge them all, pushing them to grow so that they perhaps will break their shells and become something more. Because faith, after all, is not a finish line. Faith is a dance. It isn't about trying to rush to the end and win. It's about listening for the music of the Spirit of God in the present moment and dancing to its rhythm, letting it take us wherever it leads. Like the wind, Jesus would say to Nicodemus that we talked about in last week's message, 
adapting to the change in tempo and style because faith is, if nothing else, this beautiful, beautiful dance. And movements that don't adapt, religions that don't adapt, spiritual experiences that don't adapt, people who don't adapt, disappear. This has been lost in our modern times. Our modern readings of Jesus is that he came to oppose the religions of his day and start a new one. That just isn't true. What is undisputable is that he came to challenge every religious expression to grow beyond its current state. Jesus was all about deconstruction, but not for deconstruction, for vitality. And what I think is a vivid example of this, we read in all three Gospels the same couple of stories, almost identically written. That means the biographers were clear on what these stories meant and how they were connected and their importance to the story of Jesus. Luke records for us, this is the account we're going to look at this morning. Jesus, Jesus is inviting some new followers to join him in his mission, to inspire people to change their thinking on God's presence in this world, and therefore their presence. And specifically that, that God's kingdom come has already came. Change your thinking to experience it, was Jesus' message. And so Jesus comes upon this tax collector named Levi, who is a poor choice for a disciple, according to most people, including us if we were asked for our opinion. But Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 says, Levi, come join me. And Levi does. He leaves his former lucrative life and joins Jesus. And in doing so, he has this big banquet, this party, and invites all his colleagues to come and, and be a part of his retirement. I believe his, one of his supervisors, probably Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, was probably there at this event. And Jesus is there meeting his friends and probably describing this new life of the kingdom and what Levi is going to be entering into. Luke records that some religious leaders see this, and they're so put out by Jesus' actions that they criticize him. Watching him with Levi and his pals, they say, Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors, with government agents? These are traitors. These are people that have, are, are working for the occupying country. Why? They're not good people. And listen to what Jesus says to them in response. He says, those who are well have no need for a physician. It's the sick who do. And I've not come to call the righteous, but to invite those who fall into the side into a beautiful change. I paraphrase that so we can understand what I think is the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you think you have it all figured out, and maybe you do. I've come for those who are searching for life, for hope, for meaning. I've come to bring healing to those who are dying in their disillusionment. So what's your problem? I feel like Jesus is saying to these, these individuals. And the next verse is their answer. The next verse, they kind of get right to it. They say to him, well, why is it that John the Baptist's disciples are always fasting and praying? Just like the Pharisees' disciples, they fast and, and, and pray. But yours, they eat and drink. And Jesus says, can you expect the wedding guests to fast while they have the bridegroom with them? The day will come when they will lose the bridegroom. That will be the time for them to fast. They will lose their appetite. Trust me. Then he gives them this illustration. He says, nobody tears a piece from a new coat to patch up an old one. If they do, they'll ruin the new one, and the new patch won't match the old garment. 
Nobody puts new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will be spilt, and the skins ruined. No, new wine must be put into new wineskins. And nobody who's been drinking old wine wants the new at once. They're sure to say, the old is good, sound wine. It's interesting in this encounter. So often I think the first question people ask isn't really the question people are asking. These onlookers complaining about Jesus defying expectations, about the unpredictable nature of his movement, is making them question their own. It finally comes out after Jesus confronts them. Well, if you really want to know what our problem is, Jesus, here it is. Your spirituality looks different than ours. Why don't you fast and pray like the others? John the Baptist does it different. The Pharisees fast two times a week. You eat and drink instead of fasting, and it's bugging us, quite frankly. Your spirituality seems to be more fun, and therefore can't truly be spiritual. And Jesus responds by telling them, listen, there's a time for all things. Right now, we're celebrating with those who are discovering life. And Jesus offers this analogy that I think is often misunderstood. He says, you don't tear fabric from a new garment to patch up a hole in an old one. It won't match. And you'll end up ruining both and look ridiculous. Jesus says, if you tear a new garment to fix an old one, it won't be to have two garments, only just to preserve the old at the expense of the new. And that would be a terrible waste. Or look at it this way, he seems to be saying, nobody puts new wine into an old wineskin or you have a science experiment to clean up. The new wine, as it ferments, will burst the old skins, and once again, you've ruined both. Instead, you pour new unfermented wine into new wineskins so that it has, as it ferments, it can stretch and expand to accommodate. This is common in first century to see, to, to use the skin of a goat that is sewn to seal all the holes, and you pour grape juice into it and allow it to ferment and expand, and the goat skin will expand with it. It's genius, really. I've seen these goat skins bloated from fermentation. They look absolutely ridiculous, but they're genius. And over time, that goat skin will become rigid and quite brittle, but it holds the wine. Jesus is saying, if you take an old rigid goat skinned wine bag and you fill it with new wine, it will not be able to handle the fermentation. It will explode and it's all ruined. Maybe this is why Jesus in last week's message has to tell Nicodemus that he needs to start over again. Nicodemus is one of Israel's teachers. He's wise in the traditions of the elders, of his own specific Jewish philosophy, yet he's intrigued somehow at Jesus and his adaptive teachings, his new interpretations of Torah. And he comes at night. Jesus, knowing that he's rigid, that he's brittle, tells him, Nicodemus, you're full. Nothing new can be added. You must unlearn to make room if you want to comprehend what God is doing in these days. He basically says you need to start over. You need to start again so that you can grow in these new ways and new ideas. You see, faith, I think, desires to ferment, not to become cement. True spirituality wants to expand and fill an empty life with meaning and purpose and hope, not solidify ideas that become a measuring stick to beat those who do not conform. Faith desires to ferment, not to become cement.
What's interesting as you look at this encounter, Jesus doesn't throw those criticizing him under the bus. He says, listen, I haven't come for those of you who aren't looking for change and hope. I've come for those who are. The only problem with a vintage wine bag is if there's nothing in it. Because then all you have is an empty goatskin brittle wine bag. Jesus ends this analogy with this line, Those of you who have had old wine do not desire the new. Of course not. You have a history with yours, and it's familiar, it's comforting. Listen, vintage faith isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. It's a beautiful thing. It can be a beautiful thing if you can pour it out to celebrate life where you find it. If you can pour it out for others, like Jesus poured out his life for those who needed it. This is a great example of these Pharisees, these religious leaders who, filled with vintage faith, could not pour out of their own lives to celebrate with the Levi who'd made incredible life change. You see, a faith that isn't expanding is becoming brittle. And if you think that faith is only about preserving or cementing instead of fermenting, then unfortunately you have a faith that just becomes a brittle goatskin wine bag. And who wants to be a brittle goatskin wine bag? This becomes a great analogy here that Jesus offers. There are people in a variety of different places in their faith, and my faith might not look like yours, and that's okay. The question isn't, why does your faith look different? It should be, is my faith resilient? Is it adaptive? Is it alive? Is it fermenting? Is it growing? Is it expanding? Does it pour out to celebrate life where I find it? Even when it looks different than what I've come to know. My story last week about my crisis of faith in the basement of the Toronto General Hospital is about my vintage faith not being able to handle the new circumstances that I found myself in. Seven months of unanswered prayers, forget deconstructing, I was imploding under the weight of unmet expectations and disillusionment. I had no room for new ways of holding suffering or grief. I had to start over. And I think this is important for us to understand. We all follow Jesus for different reasons. I can't tell you why you need faith in your life. I can only tell you why I do. Mark Nepo says that what we reach for may be different but what makes us reach is the same. I think he's on to something. The past couple of years, it has been hard on all of us for a variety of reasons. Because of this pandemic, because of all the, the change and uncertainty. It's really been hard on the institution of the church, of every religious stripe. They say that the Episcopal Church in Canada that's resisted technology for so long advanced 20 years in the past 36 months. They had to. But it may have been just a little bit too late. The church as an institution is often seen as a brittle goat-skinned wine bag by culture, empty and fragile, criticizing anything new. But the world has changed. It wears a new garment. And the Christian church may have holes in it. And we don't need a patch. We need to start over. It's time for a change. We need a fix. Sonia Renee Taylor, who is a black activist spoken and spoken word artist, she's an author and just an all-around mover and shaker. She um, wrote something so beautiful during the pandemic that I think it really fits wonderful here to wrap up these thoughts for us 
especially when you think of what she writes about specifically in terms of our faith and not just about our experience with COVID. As I read this to you, just imagine that, that these words are meant to challenge and inspire you in terms of who you are and what you've believed and where you can go with that. What can this mean for all of us together? Here's what she says. She says, I feel like the bearer of news that sounds awful, but it's actually not. We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given an opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Wow, I say amen to that. Let's leave behind what we need to leave behind. Let's stitch a new garment of faith and of hope. Let's hear Jesus with new ears and see his kingdom with new eyes, one built on love and hope. Deconstruct if you must, but don't forget to start again. Exhale and discard all that is not God, all that is not love, all that is not beauty, and let the spirit of life fill your lungs and soul. And if you represent um, decades of experience in, in a vintage faith, just make sure that you're pouring it out to celebrate life where you find it. Remember that if you're not expanding, if you're not growing, you run the risk of becoming brittle. And God has so much more in store for you and us. <laughs>